Father, we thank you and we praise you. We have much to be grateful for. Lord, I pray that you would remind us today as we open up your word, as your Holy Spirit guides and convicts us. Lord, I pray that we would listen and I pray that the response of our hearts and our souls would be to worship and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're on lesson number two out of ten in our discipleship series. For those of you that are just joining us, the purpose of this series is to help us remember that we are called to be disciples and to make disciples. When you break Christianity down into the the simplest terms, it has to do with with knowing Jesus, with loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We, We must do that for ourselves as followers of Christ, and we must help other people do that as well. So there there are ten lessons in this series, and as I've said, there's a component in each lesson for you to embrace, for you in your own personal walk with God to to grow, to nurture that part in you. But then also, these lessons are intended for you not just to learn them, but to pass them on to others as well. And I'll be doing this for each of the lessons, but again, there's a a stack of papers on the back table there. It's a, a further study on this lesson. Some of you are going through this with other people here. Maybe some of you aren't in that sort of a a discipleship relationship right now, but you can still pick up one of those sheets and use it in your family. Um, I can send it to you by email as well. But the idea is that we want to be disciples and make disciples. And today the lesson that we're going to be talking about to help us in that is worship. And by the way, In case you're wondering where these ten lessons came from, I didn't just pull them out of the air. They came from the Bible. But lessons number two through seven specifically are our core values as a church. So these are what we have come together as Cornerstone Church and said, this is what we want to be about. Lessons number two through seven. And the the first one of them is worship. We'll go on to prayer, the word, evangelism, fellowship, and service as well. And then we've got three more to end it after that. But today we're looking at worship. What goes through your mind when you hear the word worship? Perhaps you think about singing at church. That makes sense. Or maybe you picture somebody crying out to God with their arms raised in the air and these warm fuzzies of emotion emanating from them. Or maybe you get the feeling that perhaps you don't worship God the way that you should. I think a fairly large number of Christians feel inadequate in the way that they worship because their worship maybe doesn't look like somebody else's worship. So what is worship? Well, the definition that I want to work with today encompasses our entire walk with God. So what I want to do, is I want to use worship as kind of an umbrella term because the idea is that all that we do in our lives should give honor and glory to God and as such it's worship. So worship includes singing. Absolutely it does. And we'll talk about where that fits in. But it also includes other things we do, like praying, or like serving others. Or worship has to do with the way we respond to traffic, or our kids. Worship has to do with how we honor God in any situation. And one of the cool things about worship is that we glorify God as we worship Him, but also our souls are nourished and strengthen for, for the coming days as we worship him. And then it started to make me think, well, what's the opposite of worship? Sometimes you can learn what something is by learning what the opposite of it is. And I thought, the opposite of worship then is going our own way. If worship is humbling ourselves before God and honoring him with what we do, 
The opposite of worship is to pretend that God doesn't care how we live or to, to seek our own ways. And what happens if we do that? What happens if we stop worshiping God? Our souls get malnourished. Our souls start to suffer. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at Psalm 42. And it's, it's an interesting psalm because it comes from a guy whose soul is starting to feel a little bit malnourished. He's feeling distant from God. It's written, it says in the, in the subscript, or the superscript, I should say, it's written by the sons of Korah. We don't know exactly who those people were, but what we do know about them is that they were people who led worship in ancient Israel. And part of that meant that they were musicians and that they, they led the singing of the psalms. But also as part of their leading worship, they wrote these psalms which taught the nation of Israel how to worship. Because you see, worship isn't just singing. It has to do with following God and being with God. <coughs> here's how it says it in our core values document that we came up with as a church it says worship passionately entering God's presence to proclaim his greatness and listen to his voice I like that description of worship being with God proclaiming his greatness listening to his voice so we chose Psalm 42 each one of our core values on that document has some scripture references on the side of it as well. And we chose Psalm 42 in part because of some of the descriptions in there of what it means to worship God. I love, I love Psalm 42 because of its context. As I said, it's written by a guy who felt perhaps a little bit distant from God. It felt to him like it had been a while since he met with God. He was facing the taunts of his foes, saying, where is your God? And the guy was even questioning God's goodness a little bit. Yet the psalm offers a wonderful picture of what it looks like for us to worship God even in those circumstances. So what I want to do here is I want to walk through Psalm 42, especially the first five verses, and I want to point out to you five descriptions of worship from it. So Psalm 42, for the director of music, a Moskil of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. <coughs> my soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. <coughs> By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
the first of these five descriptions about worship is meeting with God. Meeting with God. The psalmist opens up by comparing himself to a deer panting for water. That word pant there is the word for an overheated or dehydrated animal. And when an animal is in that situation, it knows that it needs water or it's going to die. We're like that too. We, we need water or we die. The, the deer here had one thing on its mind. Getting to the water source because that is what it desperately needed. The psalmist knew that about himself as well. Yet he felt like in a, he was in a place, as it says in verse 9, where he felt forgotten by God. A place of dryness. What was his response? To seek God even more intently. I I love this part of the psalm. If we feel far from God, we should seek Him. Do you long for God that way? Do you long to meet with Him? Or do you simply accept the feeling of being distant from Him? Our souls need God. We must not go long without meeting with Him. That's why the psalm says, when can I go and meet with God in verse 2? It literally says there, when can I go and see the face of God? He desperately wanted to be in his presence. And and by the way, we learn in the New Testament in Hebrews that God has opened the way for us to be in his presence. It was sealed off. That's what the curtain in the Holy of Holies signified, that it was sealed off. But when Jesus died, that curtain was broken, meaning that the way has been made for us through Jesus Christ to be with God, to, be, to enter into his presence. And we can do that. We can worship him in that way by meeting with him. The psalmist here talks about a thirst, a deep desire to meet with God. At least three other places in the Bible, God talks about wanting to satisfy that thirst in us. I want to read them for you quickly. Isaiah 55.1 Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Revelation 22:17 Come whoever is thirsty let him come and whoever wishes let him take the free gift of the water of life That sounds good to me the water of life And then John 7:37 If anyone is thirsty Jesus says let him come to me and drink God wants to give our souls that nourishment that comes only from him It comes as we meet with him in his presence God wants to satisfy our thirst. In fact, this is one of the reasons that Jesus came to die. We know there's lots of reasons why Jesus came to die. He came to forgive us of our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty so that we could just spend eternity in heaven. But did you know that one of the reasons that Jesus came is so that we could meet with God, so that we could spend time in his presence right now. To be saved doesn't just mean I get to go to heaven when I die. To be saved means a relationship with God where the way has been made for us to enter into his presence and to meet with him. In Psalm 42, the psalmist felt distant from God, so he prayed. Now, each of these five points here I want to end by applying. So here, the application for this point is that this is a wonderful lesson to learn. When we feel distant from God, we need to seek him until we find him. God wants us to be with him, so let's be people who make it our goal to meet with him. How do we do that? Well, I've got lots of tips. Uh, Each of the next four points that we'll look at can be a tip, 
other tips are things like reading the Bible, praying, worshiping, things like that. But, but for now, the application that I want to give you here, how do we meet with God? Seek Him. It's between you and God. God has done everything necessary. Jesus already died for your sins. The way has already been opened up. God is not distant. Sometimes He feels distant to us, but we can seek Him until we find Him. That's why Jesus gave us this promise in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek and you will find. God has done everything that is necessary. Let's seek Him until we find Him. Okay, the second description of worship is the one that I mentioned earlier during communion. Remembering God. As I mentioned already, the psalmist felt forgotten by God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can feel that way too. We can slip into this place in life where we feel very distant from God. It can feel to us like, yeah, God is good to other people, but but me, will I ever really experience His blessing? Verse 9, he says, Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. I think it's fair to say that, that we might describe what this psalmist is going through as depression. Depression is a very human emotion. It can come upon any of us. Now, there's lots of reasons for depression. I I fully believe that there are are chemical and physical reasons for depression. But I also believe that a reason for depression sometimes is having a wrong view of God. Feeling like He is more distant from us than He actually is. Our souls were created to be nourished by Him. And if we're not meeting with Him or feeling that He's more distant than He actually is, it malnourishes our souls. We're forgetful people. Now, to give you a little lesson on this, I want to use a kid's book here, Birthday for France. You have to excuse me, I'm a father of little kids, so this is what I do. I read kid's books. Uh, This one is from a series of books by Russell Hoban, where Francis is the main character. Francis is a badger. I don't know why he picked a badger. Maybe he's from Wisconsin or something, but badgers aren't like the really most cuddly animals. But... In this story, Francis has a little sister, Gloria, who is about to have a birthday tomorrow. But Francis is jealous because Francis's birthday was a long time ago and she wants it to be her birthday. So in this story, on page 7 here, Francis and her imaginary friend, Alice, are talking to Francis's mother. And Francis's mother says, I'll, I'll let you see the picture. <laughs> Alice has one birthday every year and so do you. Your birthday is two months from now. Then you will be the birthday girl, but tomorrow is Gloria's birthday, and she will be the birthday girl. Now, Frances didn't really like this message. She was a little frustrated and upset. And Frances turns to her imaginary friend Alice and says, That is how it is, Alice. Your birthday is always the one that is not now. (laughs) Isn't that a great line? Your birthday is always the one that is not now. Her birthday was 10 months ago, and it felt like forever ago. She saw all these other people having birthday party after birthday party, and tomorrow is her little sister's, and when am I going to ever have my birthday party? I remember feeling that way as a kid. But spiritually speaking, we can feel that way about meeting with God. We can feel like it was so long ago that we last met with God. We see other people meeting with God, and we might feel like we might never be able to meet with Him again. What do we do in those situations? We need to remember. 
God. Sometimes spiritual dryness can feel closer than God. It's in those times that we should remember. Look at verse 4. The psalmist says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Verse 6 says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. It seemed to God like the... Excuse me. It seemed to the psalmist like God had left. His soul was downcast, in despair, disturbed within him. When we're downcast, the easiest thing to do is to pout. But the psalmist teaches us something important here. When we're down, we should remember God. He felt forgotten, so he called to his attention those times when he met with God. Even when he was feeling like he was drowning in verse 7, he reminded himself that the Lord was with him there in verse 8. And one interesting note about verse 8, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are actually probably one psalm together. And in that psalm, the the two of them together, the word God is used 20 times, and the word Lord is only used once. This is the word Lord, that personal name of God, that was revealed to Moses. Remember, we studied this back in Exodus 3, when God had a huge task for Moses, and then he said, I'll be with you. And he revealed that personal name of the Lord so that Moses could have that assurance that God was with him. That's the name of the Lord that the psalmist calls to mind here. He says, by day, the Lord directs his love. The psalmist was reminding himself of the God who is at work to show his love to people. He felt forgotten, so he remembered the Lord. He looked back at God's faithfulness and says, oh yeah, God is the God who has always been good. By the way, one other thing the psalmist did here when he felt forgotten by God, he wrote a psalm. I think that one of the reasons he wrote this psalm was to remind his soul, to help him remember God. It's one of the ways that worship can help us in our walk with God. Worshiping God helps us remember Him. Remembering helps us worship, and worshiping helps us remember it. It's kind of a great circle like that. Sometimes it's good for us to do something proactive when we're downcast or depressed. And one of the things we should be doing is remembering God as an act of worshiping Him. Our circumstances can feel overwhelming. Life can really get to us. We must remember in those situations that God is sovereign and that He is good. So I'll say it this way. Did you wake up this morning? Did the sun rise? God still loves you. The sun, the sun did rise. Trust me, it's somewhere, somewhere out there. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And even more sure, I'm sure that God loves us. We studied the, the Sunday after Easter, Lamentations 3. It says that God's love and compassions are new every morning. We can be assured that God is still good, even if it doesn't feel like it. So the application for this part of my message is if you're downcast, think about a time when God showed his love and faithfulness to you and remember that he will still be good to you today. Okay, the third description of worship. Pouring out our souls. Pouring out our souls to God. Again, like I've said, this psalm feels like it came from a man who was depressed, who felt far from God. And our lives can easily go down that road. What do we do when we feel down? Well, this world offers lots of solutions. 
solutions to drown our pain or solutions to try to get us to forget about our pain? How many people, though, have fallen into addictive or destructive behaviors trying to find a solution to their depression or, or to their feeling down? What can we do? We can pour out our souls to God. Verse 4, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I love Psalm 62.8. It says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Trust in Him. Pour out your heart. Those can seem like opposite things. Trusting God and pouring out our heart. Sometimes we feel like pouring out our heart would just be complaining. And think about that. Think about some kid, and, and maybe for some of you this is really hard to imagine, but think about a kid whining about wanting a cookie before supper. I want it. I need it. And, and you as a parent, you say no. Why do we say that? Because we're asking our children to trust us, that we have something good in mind for them, that we want them to eat the healthy food of supper. And sometimes the way that this goes at our house is we say, okay, if you can stop whining now and trust us, and you eat a good supper, then at snack time, you can have a cookie. But there's a fine line for us spiritually between whining and pouring out our souls. Whining is what we do when we don't trust God. Pouring out our souls is something that we do as we trust that God has our best interest in mind, like it says in his word that he does trusting that God will get us through. So here's the application of this part. If you feel distant from God, talk to Him about it. Don't whine, but trust Him. Be honest with Him. Trust that He will get you through. Pour out your soul to Him. Okay, the fourth description of worship is hoping in God. Hoping in God. I want to reread verse 5 for you. My, oh, excuse me. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I love how the psalmist talks to his soul here. Soul, why are you feeling the way that you do? If you haven't caught on to it yet, the psalmist here was going through a difficult stretch. But he knew something important. He knew that if he could bring himself to a right frame of mind where he was hoping in God that God would take care of him. It's not human nature to worship God when we're downcast. Human nature is to throw a pity party or just to kind of give up or to seek something else that might fill that hole. But the psalmist knew that his only real solution was in God. So he did something very interesting in verse 5 as well as verse 11 as well as the last verse of Psalm 43. He commanded his soul to hope in God. For those of you that like grammar, the verbal form here is an imperative. He says, put your hope in God. He was commanding his soul. I've heard this described before as preaching to your soul. And that's a fantastic lesson for us to learn. Sometimes... Oftentimes, our soul doesn't feel like praising God. But in those times, we need to preach to our souls, reminding ourselves that God is still good. So it's almost like you need to grab your soul by the shirt collar and say, Soul, get with the program here. God is good. Praise Him. It'll be good for you to do it. This guy was downcast, and he commanded his soul to hope in God. 
So worship includes going to God in difficult times in order to gain a right perspective on our lives. And if we can train ourselves to do that, we will gain hope. Hope means trusting that God will take care of things in His timing. Despair means that we think that it might never go well for us. We need to hope in God and we need to train our souls to do that. So the application here, the next time you're feeling down, try this. Try talking to your soul. Grabbing your soul by the shirt collars and just speaking truth to yourself. Reminding yourself to praise God because He is the one who will get you through. It doesn't feel natural. It seems odd, in fact. I'm going through a difficult time, so I'll praise God, right? It, it seems strange, yet it's good for our soul because God is still good. We lose perspective. If our, if, if our lives aren't going well, it feels to us like God has forgotten to be good to us. But is that true? Absolutely not. It's in those times that we need to remind our souls that God is still good to us. And praising Him helps us do that. Okay, the fifth description of worship is praising God. Praising God. Verse 5 again. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Praising God is probably the description of worship that we're most familiar with. And the Hebrew word for praise here is a very familiar one. It's, it's one that emphasizes the out loudness of our praise, what we do with our mouths to give glory to God, to sing. Singing or talking about God helps us remember His goodness. In verse 4 of this psalm, the psalmist talked about those times. He remembered those times when he used to go with the people, with the festive throng, leading the procession, shouting with joy and thanksgiving as they were on their way to the house of God. And notice there that the pinnacle of worship wasn't just the singing of the songs. It was the fact that they were going to the house of God to meet with Him. But songs served a very useful purpose in this. The songs were the verbal expression of the praise that they wanted to give to God as they were going to meet with Him. I, I want to repeat that. The songs were verbal expressions of worship. That's why we sing. Because God is worthy of worship. Our souls are most satisfied when we live according to His ways. And worship as an umbrella term is that that honor that we give to God as we follow Him and whatever He leads us into. Singing, then, fits underneath this worship umbrella as what we do with our mouths to give God that glory. It's the expression of our souls as we realize that God is worthy of praise. It flows from within, out of our mouths, to God. And the result is honor and glory for Him. As disciples, or followers of Christ, our goal should be to honor God in all that we do. And singing is a very helpful thing as we worship God. Whether in good times or bad, God is worthy of worship. And, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why corporate worship, or public worship, what we come together to do, is so important. We come together to remind God, or excuse me, to remind us to give God the glory that He's worthy of. I might be having a bad day today. I might come here thinking, oh, I, uh, I don't really feel like giving God praise. But as I see the rest of you giving God praise, it reminds me and encourages me to give God praise. Or maybe I'm having a great day and I can serve as that reminder for you. 
But one of the neat things as we come together here is we see other people who want to worship God. We are not alone in this world. You are not the only one who believes that God is worthy of worship. And when we come together, we encourage each other, we remind each other of the fact that God is worthy. The psalmist in Psalm 42 was going through a rough day. He commanded his soul to hope in God and he committed to praising God. Why are hope and praise the answer? I think it's because he was realizing that this is what he was created for. This is what we were created for. To give God glory. When we honor God rightly for who he is in any circumstance of our lives, we live out the function that we were created for. The application for this part of the sermon here has to do with our songs. I hope you know that the songs that we sing here are more than just music. We don't pick them just because they sound cool. We don't want them to sound bad, but it's not enough just for it to sound good. We pick these songs because we want to remind ourselves to enter into God's presence. And the songs are, each one of the songs, I hope you know that, every single one of the songs that we sing here has been intentionally chosen to remind us to worship God. And we sing because God is worthy of praise. Here's my conclusion. Worship is what we were created for. It's what we were created to do. Allow me to run through a quick list of why we should worship. This is different than the five things I've already given you. I just came up with six things. There's probably way more than this, but here's six reasons why we should worship. One, because God is worthy. Two, because it's good for our souls. We were created for it. Three, it's something we'll be doing for all eternity. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not the only thing we'll be doing. Singing isn't the only thing we'll be doing. It's not just harps and clouds up there. But praising God with our voices is one thing that we will be doing for the rest of eternity. So we should practice now. Why else should we worship? Number four, it sets our life course in the right direction. And this is why I preach a series on the Psalms every November. Because our lives can so easily get off track as as we take our eyes off of God or as we just kind of gently nudge Him to the sides of our lives sometimes. Our lives can get off track. Worshiping God helps us get on the right track. And then similarly, number five, when we get into a spiritual slump or a dry time or a depression, worshiping God can help us get back into the right place. And then number six, Worship helps us proclaim God to other people. As we worship, as other people watch us worship, it helps us to proclaim Him and to teach others how to follow Him. In Psalm 42, the psalmist felt forgotten. Was he? No. Our feelings can trick us. That's why as an act of our wills, we should praise God. That's why we should preach to our souls, reminding ourselves that God is still good. Because worship isn't just something that we do when we feel in the mood for it. And by the way, if you feel inadequate in worship, maybe it's because you have this caricature in mind that worship is the warm fuzzies that you get. That's not what it is. Our emotions are part of it. And absolutely, if you have those warm fuzzies, you can praise God in that time. But really, worship is anything that we do to honor God. It's anything that we do to proclaim God. 
So in this worship series, or excuse me, in this discipleship series we're talking about, we're talking about how we can embrace these truths and pass them on. And I just want to talk for a moment about passing this on. As we worship God, we teach others to worship God. Some people set a great example in this. And, and I was thinking about that in our church and just thinking about our worship leaders here, Dan and Brian. And I love how they come. They, they spend time to, to get into God's word and to teach us about worship. And then as they sing, they, they're leading us into worship. I thought also about Christine, and Dan helps with this as well, in preparing the songs. And e- each song, again, crafted so that we can remind ourselves to worship God. I just get the impression from these people that they want to honor God and it sets a good example for the rest of us. So I just want to ask you all this question. Does your worship set an example for other people? Would other people look at you and say, there is somebody who is serious about worshiping God and I can learn from them. Our worship instructs other people how to worship. And then one last thing here. The Psalms run the whole gamut of human emotion, teaching us that whatever we feel, we can, we can and should praise God. I read a quote from a guy named Roy Clements. He said, We are never helpless victims of our emotions. Sometimes we don't feel like worshiping. But worshiping God is a choice and a lifestyle. It takes effort on our part. It's not just emotion. It doesn't just automatically happen when the mood is right. Worshiping God is something that we need to be committed to as followers of Christ. So will you worship God? Will you command your soul to hope in God? Will you praise Him even when you don't feel like it? Let's be people who give God the honor He deserves and let's be people who teach others how to worship too. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you because of who you are and what you do for us. You are so good to us. You are better than we could ever imagine. Yet we forget that sometimes, Lord. I pray that we would do a good job of reminding ourselves and reminding others that you are worthy of worship. And I pray that with our lives, with our mouths, with our hearts, with our hands and our feet, that we would worship you in all that we do and all that we are because you are worthy, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with two songs now. It just felt appropriate that...